0: Born in unlikely conditions, a stable, more like a cave. I don't think it was very sterile in there. Just, I don't know about you. I don't, I don't even know if they had boiling, you know, water to be boiled. It was scandalous, the, the, the rumors, the, all of the things that surrounded Mary and Joseph, a teenage girl that was betrothed to this man. They were unmarried. She gets pregnant, and she says, it's God, I promise. And he has to have an angel show up and say, yes, it's, this is all of God. Take Mary to be your, take her to be your wife. Because what we're doing is unlike anything that human beings would ever do. It's a very humble way. So his, his beginning was in humility. But the light of the world showed up in an unassuming way, in a scandalous way but it was God revealing from his heart great humility and how all of this went down. So the first Sunday of Advent, the theme is prophecy. You know, you, know, you heard the passages read by the Spences earlier, the devotional. Uh, the, the one in Isaiah written about 700 years before Jesus was born. So what was the purpose of these prophecies? Why were they given? It was to infuse hope in despair. Again, it stirred up anticipation and expectancy that the promise was coming, the Messiah was going to come. Have you ever anticipated something that you were very excited about, you know, like, you know, you have a vacation? You see people that, like, they have a vacation coming up, and if you're not, if you're, if you're not clear on that, just get on Facebook when, when somebody's about three months from vacation. Man, they are counting down the time when they get to leave. You ever been there? You expect, you know, just time off and let me out of here, give me a break, Where the expectation maybe of a, 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 you know, a new job or or, or or something new, or maybe it's like you're going to buy something new, the expectancy of a new house, a new car, whatever that could be, the expectancy of a child coming, a wedding day approaching. And it's, Intended to spark something in your heart to give you hope as you expect something is going to be good. And, and, and as good as all of those are, none of them are eternal, except the relationships that we have. They can be very fleeting. It's a problem with vacation. you got to come home. And then back to normal, back to the same things that were going on. But these prophecies that were written were eternal. In the Old Testament, they were anticipating the coming of Messiah. And actually, most of the prophecies that you hear, and we celebrate, you know, the one that was read, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and we go yes, and we write carols, and we sing songs about it. That was written at a very dark time in history. It was a very dark time. It was a very painful time. If you look at Isaiah chapter 8, you you see God using Assyria to bring Israel under captivity because of sinfulness or because of idolatry, and they had gone into a very dark place. And I love the beginning of Isaiah 9, and it's the promise of Messiah. It's, it's this, it's this like light of hope right in the middle of darkness. And it's even how Jesus came. And so you have all of these things that are going to be happening Dark things. And in chapter 9, he begins, he says, nevertheless. And, you know, when you hear nevertheless, it means this is happening. However, something else is going to happen. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Where was Jesus born? He was, Jesus was at Galilean. By the way of the sea, along the Jordan. And then verse 2 says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Why is that light dawned? In verse 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. He will be called wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is why a light has dawned, because the promise that in darkness, the light comes. Maybe I'm the only one excited about that. Because all these prophecies in Revelation, uh, you know, John says that, that prophecy is the clear testimony of Jesus Christ. So even when they were prophesying, they were pointing to Christ, they, they, you know, they didn't see the fulfillment of the promise. And a lot of them, you know, as Hebrews says, they died without seeing the fulfillment of the promise, but they, they held on to the promise that he was coming. And these prophecies were given in a lot of darkness. I, I love the Christmas carol, O Holy Night. You guys like that one? It's very good. Interesting trivial thing if you're ever interested in these things. It was written by a guy who was not a believer. And the music was written by a guy who was not a believer. There was a, there was a minister, it was written in 1800. a minister gave this poet the Christmas story, and said, write a song, write a poem, and he wrote the poem, O oh Holy Night, based on the Christmas story from Luke. And then he had a friend, and he said, put music to this, and so there you go, you can look that up if you like. But I love that song, and it reveals what I'm talking about. And I'm going to just read a few lines. You'll be familiar with this. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The world, even he he understood as he was reading the Christmas story that the world was in a sinful place, in a dark place. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. There goes my notes. And just like the, that time and that dark place, the world is in a dark, sinful place still looking for answers. And it's interesting that, uh, that the world looks for all the, 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 the answers and, and sometimes we get caught up in that. We, we look for the answers in the wrong places and, and he says that in sin and error, pining. Pining means striving, trying to find something that fulfills. This was Israel's story in, in the Old Testament. That's why you look at that, those prophetic utterances. That was Israel's story. They were on a spiritual roller coaster and it's a lot of our stories. They would follow God, and things would go well, and then it would be easy to get comfortable because things were going well, and then they tended to turn from God, and they would Get into sinfulness, and they would go into a dark time and and then they would cry out to God and, and God would rescue them, and then they would come up out of that and, it's the, and and so the roller coaster went, and that's why you have the Word of God, which is so powerful and it reveals th- their th- this this striving and this and this desire to try to find something, and, and it's a, our story as well and so in the midst of darkness, the light comes, and a thrill of hope for a weary world walks into history. We live in a weary world. Some hear your, your world, you would de- describe it as weary, depending on what season of life you're in. And I pray that you'll let Jesus come in and let his light shine in you and through you and give you hope. Because when a soul surrenders to the light of Jesus, and realizes their worth, the thrill of hope. It, it, it's interesting that song says, you know, the, the, the natural response is when we realize what we have in Christ, it's the thrill of hope, and we fall on our knees in worship and surrender. Because surrendering your life to Jesus is the most amazing, the greatest thing you'll ever do. So, this is the Christmas story light coming into the darkness. His coming changed everything. I, I want to look at a passage today that isn't much of a Christmas passage in the sense uh, that we would recognize it as such, but I think it reveals what I'm talking about and it reveals light coming into the darkness and the true heart of what Christmas is all about. And so I'm going to have it up there, Lamentations 3, 20 through 26. Bottom one, you can't see. I'll just have to read that. You'll have to just trust me on that one. So uh, I thought it might make it. But, but let me give you a little background on this passage, Lamentations. If you're familiar with Scripture, this was written by the prophet Jeremiah. Interesting, one of his nicknames, he's called the Weeping Prophet. Um, Jeremiah, I tell you, if you, were ever, if you ever thought it would be a good thing to be an Old Testament prophet, read the book of Jeremiah. That is not a job for the faint of heart. Um, God speaks to him. In fact, several times, you know, God will speak to him. And this is, this is true of Ezekiel, Isaiah. And God says, you know, the, the people are bent on doing going their own way. They are, they are bent on doing it. I, I, I'm, I'm drawing them. I want them to be with me, but they're bent on doing their own thing. And I want you to go tell them and give them the messages from my heart to them. And then God would say this, and this is just, you know, and says, by the way, when you tell them they're not going to listen to you, they're going to still go their own way. And they're going to suffer some serious consequences, but I I still want you to tell them. And so Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, and and, and, I mean, that's a depressing title of a book anyway. I mean, to lament, you know, it's just to to weep and to cry and, 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 and so he is lamenting, he's groaning, he's complaining because during the time in 586 BC, Jerusalem fell. You're talking about the culmination of the Babylonian captivity, one of the worst times in Israel's history. The people were hurting. I mean, if you, if you read about some of the things that they were doing, uh, it was awful, but the people were hurting and Jeremiah's pouring out his anguish before God. And it can be a depressing book to read. If you track along in the one-year Bible, there's this tendency to just say, I don't want to read it. I just feel horrible after I read this book. And so then we go, what's the purpose of it? But like all Old Testament passages of Scripture, the Old Testament is a neon light that's shining towards Jesus. It's revealing the great need of Christ. It's revealing the great need of redemption that we need to be rescued. It's an intended that we need God desperately they had rebelled against God. They were trying to live without God. Some of, that's our story, some of us. And so God, in his mercy, he allowed them to have it their own way. And that's where you see this roller coaster of life is God lets them have it their way. They go into deep darkness. And then who do they rail against? They begin to rail against God. Why are you allowing this? And God is saying, I'm trying to let you see in my mercy, in my heart for you, in my grace for you. I'm lo- trying to let you see what life is like without me. Because we we have the enemy of the soul that comes in, and, and then you know, and, and, and when, when people are saying, I just I'm gonna try to do it without God, I don't want God in my life, and I'm gonna try, and then we get the natural consequences. Then the enemy goes, see what God did to you? And people's natural tendency is to begin to rail against God. And God in his mercy is trying to draw us back to himself. And he's saying, I I want you to understand that you'll be miserable without me. That's the story of the Old Testament. And so God allowed them to have it their way and experience life without him and it wasn't good and And so you see this unfold, this this story unfold. But right in the midst of Jeremiah's lament, there's a switch. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And before and after, he's lamenting. But right here, there's a switch in him. And we see it in chapter 3. It's a moment of faith and it's a moment of light. And he says this, I will remember then. Them and I, my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And so he's remembering, and his soul is downcast. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, whose hope is in him, and the one who seeks him. The Lord is good at those who wait quietly for his salvation. And so in the midst of all this, he is, we see a moment of faith in life. Let's break this down just a moment. Verse 20, he is not pretending like things are okay. You know, it's okay to be honest and transparent and vulnerable. I think that we need a little more of that in the church. My soul is downcast within me. Things are not okay. I can't just smile and pretend that things are okay. They're not okay, and I and I and I just appreciate his honesty. But verse 21, he says, yet this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. I'm going, he said, I'm going to call this to mind and bring it to the forefront of my thinking. In other words, I know, God, that you're good. It's somewhere in there in my mind. I know that, that, that there's goodness in you. And so I'm going to call it into mind. I'm going to bring it to the forefront of my thinking. It's in there, and, 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 and I'm going to, have, to have, I have hope when there seems to be no hope. And so verses 22 through 23, what does he call to mind? He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And what he was saying there is, he says, God, even in you allowing us to have it our way, that is a part of your mercy and your grace and your compassion. His compassion, they are new every morning. And so he's making this declaration about all about God and remembering his love and his unfailing compassion and they're available every day for us. But then I like that right in the middle of this, Jeremiah goes right into talking to God, about God, to talking to God in worship. Great is your faithfulness. I bring this to mind and sometimes we have to preach to ourselves. David says this, why so downcast, oh my soul, hope in God. He was kind of staring at himself in the, mirror, in the mirror, and he said, you need to hope in God today. I know that all your circumstances reveal that there's not a lot to hope in, but you need to hope in God today. There's something about him that is still good, and I know that I can have hope in who he is. And so I love that Jeremiah is bringing this stuff to mind. You know, he, he's not seeing that it's You know, like fleshing out the way he would like. And he said, you know, great is your faithfulness. I bring this stuff to mind. And as he's bringing it to mind, great is your faithfulness. Oh, yeah, I remember. Great is your faithfulness. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves. So I'm going to look at three Christmas truths from the rest of this passage. Letting his light shine in our world. And so we're going to look at this, and then I'm going to close. So number one, let's go ahead. Isn't that Christmassy? Would you like that? Hold on, you get to see it two more times. So, Number one is this. In Christ, we have exactly what we need. In Christ, we have exactly what we need. Verse 24, he says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. And again, sometimes we need to remind ourselves of the truth of who Jesus is, even if we don't see Things operating and and happening in our life and our circumstances are down. We have to remind ourselves. She said, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Interesting he uses the, the, the word, the Lord is my portion. And I don't know if he's reflecting back to the days of old when Israel was in the wilderness, you know, when they would have to go out and they would have to collect manna. Remember when God was feeding them supernaturally. They had fled Egypt. They were in the wilderness. And God says, I'm going to give you this stuff called manna. Manna means, what is it? That's a literal translation, isn't it? What is it? And God's supernaturally feeding them with this stuff called manna. But here was a command about the manna. He said, you have to go out every day and you have to collect enough for your family and, and do not try to take more than a daily allowance. Get a daily portion. Because some of them would try to, you know, like, we're going to store more for later and, you know, start hoarding it. Maybe it won't be here tomorrow. And God said, I'm going to take care of you. But you have to have a daily portion. And so they'd go out and they would collect and partake of the daily portion, anything that they tried to hoard, it, 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 would, it would ruin, it would be filled with maggots, isn't that a lovely thought, and they would go back the next day and there would be more, and they would collect more, and it was a daily portion, and what was God trying to say, why the command of manna this way? I think it's, it's saying here what Jeremiah was lamenting and, and saying, the Lord is my portion, and he's crying out to God, and, and I think it reflects back that we need God every day, we weren't created to walk with God once a week. We were created to have relationship with Him. And you will hear us say this from, from this pulpit over and over that we were created for relationship with Him every single day. The Lord is my portion. And we need to come to him every single day. We need him every day. The daily need for Christ. He's what we need. He is what this world needs. We need his light in our darkness every day. To get up and to say, Lord, be my portion today. Walk with me. I want to walk in relationship with you. We were created that way. It's interesting that Jesus would say in his prayer when he was teaching us to pray, the prayer that we all know give us today our daily bread. And then tomorrow we're going to need the daily bread. And then the next day we're going to need daily bread. And one of the names of Jesus is, he says, I am the bread of life. We need him every day. He's our strength in our weakness. He's the lifter of our head. He's our hope and despair. He is the light in my darkness. But we weren't created to come and just partake of church once a week or at Christmas and Easter. He deeply loves you. And he wants that relationship with you. So he, in Christ, we have all that we need. Number two. Number two. Bam. I love that. In Christ, we have the hope to keep going. In Christ, we have the hope to keep going. Verse 25, he says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. I want you to hear something there. Don't miss this. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. The promise of hope is conditional. His love is unconditional. His promises have condition. As this ties with number one, that we need Jesus every day. Jesus wants our hope to be in him. He is the hope of the nation. He is the hope of a weary world. But he says those whose hope is in him, when we place our hope in him, we receive his grace. When we place our hope in him, we receive his his peace and his daily compassion. And so part of the condition is he says, he says that, that that we have to put our hope in him, to the one who <laughs> seeks him. There again, he's revealing that he wants us to come to him every day. Hebrews 10, 23, and I have this up there. He says, Writer says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. What does he say? Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. You know, the writer of Proverbs says this, man, he he nails it when he says hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, expectation, that is tied with hope. When you don't have hope, that's a miserable place to be in. That's a dark place to be in when you just feel like you have no hope, there's no hope. Maybe for my circumstance, maybe for my life, I just don't see any hope. And that's why Jesus is so desperately saying, if you're, if you're out there pining for hope in all the wrong places, it's all going to be empty until you find me, and then you're going to find hope when you seek me. And I love the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is Faithful, He's saying, hold on to with all your might. When life is swerving, when life is, it seems a bit out of control, and that's that, that word, unswervingly, and, and it seems like it's going left and right, and, I, and I'm just barely holding on. Hold on with all your might and don't let go. Because you're not just holding on to good circumstances, you're holding on to the man, Jesus. Because it's so... Common for people to, to let go when things in life begin to swerve. And how about let's make the exchange that Jesus, let's, go, let's, let's, let's let go of the doubt, the pain, the fear, the anxiety, those things that we tend to gravitate to when life gets to be swerving out of control and let's grab hold of him. Because for too many, like like the story of the Israelites, uh, our faith in Christ has lived from chaos to chaos and pain to pain. We go through something major in in life and then we come back to Jesus. And he's there to rescue us, but what happens is we we come to him and and I've talked to people before and they're going through a very hard time in life and life is swerving out of control and and, and they're far away from God, and, and they'll say this, I need to get back with God. And I've talked to people that have said that. I need to, I need to get back with God. I need to get back in church, and I need to you know, get back walking with God. And the, the obvious answer is, yes, we want you to. But so many times it's too common for them to come back to God, and, and then he gets, and then they have peace. And things are kind of settling in and they're they're holding on and, and it's very easy to get comfortable and to kind of let that just kind of fade. And just like the children of Israel, you get to a point and then all of a sudden I'm not walking with God anymore. And then I live from chaos to chaos, from pain to pain. And it's not that God doesn't want to rescue people. He loves people so much. But what he's saying is, I want you to come and stay with me. Hold unswervingly to the hope that you profess. Don't let go. Don't let go. He's always faithful to us. And then the third one is this. In Christ, we have salvation. We have salvation. Verse 26, Jeremiah says, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And you know this is the gospel message. This is the Christmas story. You know we hear that word salvation, or you know when somebody says you know have you been saved, and you can see that those words in the Bible. And what is salvation? It's 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 rescue. It's redemption. And Jesus came to the world again to rescue us from our sins and redeem us by offering Himself. Do you know He was born to die. That was his mission. You were his mission. When you read the Christmas story, you're in the Christmas story. Because when he came, he came to rescue you and me. It was not by accident that he was born the way he was born, and they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And we hear that, swaddling clothes. If you break down that word, you know what that was? A lot of you might be familiar with that, but it was It was grave cloths because they didn't didn't have blankets available, and so they had these grave cloths that they would wrap around the newborn baby Jesus to somehow get him warm, And, and it was a prophetic symbol that he was going to die. He was born to die for us, to rescue us, to save us. That was his mission. And he wasn't just the baby in the manger. He was our sacrifice for sins. Without him, we can't have salvation. Let me say that again. Without Jesus, we cannot have salvation. And so when Jeremiah is writing in the midst of darkness, and he says, I, it is good for us to quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. And what is he saying to us today? What, what is this proclamation, this Christmas proclamation to us, some here need to completely surrender your life to him. You're not here by accident. I don't think anything happens by accident. God sets it all up. You're here for a reason. And maybe you have had a history of kind of a knowledge, a head knowledge of Jesus. You know, you went to church, you Maybe at, at the holidays, maybe you went to church a lot. And, and, and you know, maybe you just kind of have, it, it just religion kind of is the way you would describe how you know Christ. It's just kind of religious and, you know, he's the figurehead of Christianity and, and all that. But you've never really said, I, I need to completely surrender my life to him because that is the way of salvation. That's the way salvation works is to say, Jesus, here I am. I give my life to you. You gave your life to me. I give my life back to you. It isn't a commitment to be more moral. Lord, save me, and I will try not to cuss as much. It's not a commitment to come to church more often. I mean, we need to come to, together, and this is a celebration time to come together as a family of God. But salvation is a realization that we are weak, that we are wretched. That we are sinners at the core of our being and we cannot save ourselves and that he is good and that he is holy and he is filled with pure love and that he is the light of life and without him I have no hope. That's salvation. Some here, like Jeremiah, when he was making this declaration, and you got to understand a lot of his proclamations, his declaration, were to God's people, the Israelites, and some here we need to be reminded of salvation. Some here we've been saved from our sins, but we've gotten cold, we've gotten cynical, we've gotten where we are paying attention to the wrong things, we've gotten legalistic. And it's sometimes it's easy for us to forget what being a Christian is all about. And we need to see Jesus in a fresh new way with new eyes. And like the writer of, of O Holy Night, we need to fall on our knees And worship him in a new way for all he has done. Let us be reminded of why he came. If you've been a Christian for many years, let this be a fresh season where you see him in a new new way. I love Romans 13. It's up there. I think you can see most of it, but I'm going to read this. Listen to what Paul says. He says, And do this understanding the present time. And I love that he says that because. All around us is darkness. The world is dark. It's a dark place. But we don't have to live with people without hope. He said, understand the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So Paul is saying, let us. And he's writing to this church in Rome, and he says, let us do this. And he's making this declaration of the church today, and I'm saying, let us. Let us do this. Let us wake up from our slumber because it's easy to get in the rut of life and to forget about Jesus. Salvation is near. It's closer than you realize. Jesus is nearer than you could possibly know, and he loves you way more than you could ever dream of. He wants us to to come into our weary world and bring his light, even as Paul says, let's put aside the deeds of darkness. Can we make a new commitment to Jesus today to say, Lord, help me? I want to put aside the deeds of darkness. I want to walk away from darkness. And I want to put on the armor of light, who is Christ? Because he says, I am the light of the world. We surrender our life to Christ. And so our response is like the, the carol Joy to the World. I, I love that, that, that phrase in there. It says, let earth receive her king. Because it's interesting, let earth receive her king. The night that Jesus was born, you know the earth, the entire earth did not receive its king. For many that night was like any other night. It just came and went. And for a few little shepherds out in the field. It was a, a life-changing experience for those guys. But that night came and went, and many people did not know that what had happened. And Jesus grew up among them. And you have the Messiah, the, the Savior of the world. And it's the same way as today that Jesus is here. Jesus was there, and many rejected him. Many accepted, many rejected And so just like joy to the world, let earth receive her king. You have to receive the king. You can't just take a neutral stance and say, well, you know, he came and that's good enough for me. No, you have to receive him. Salvation works that way. You have to receive him. Paul says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. We have to receive him. We must open our hearts to him. And here's the thing about Jesus. He'll never force himself. One of the gifts he gives to humanity is free will. That's a gift. Because we can do whatever we want to do. We really can. And he gives us free will. So he'll never force us. But he invites us, and we have to receive him and turn from our sins and the deeds of darkness and come into a daily life of surrender to him. That's the Christmas story. Will you receive your king? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we, uh, we just once again want to acknowledge you and and, and 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 just lord just for this next couple of moments in prayer we want to fix our hearts on you we don't want to miss this moment to receive you lord that the christmas story is yet you came you really did come for us you lived life for us you died for us and lord we want to give our hearts back to you and just in this moment, um, with, with no one looking around, I, I just want to give an opportunity that you would, you're here today, and uh, the Bible says, behold, the day, today is the day of salvation. Um, you know, whatever reason why you're here, uh, whatever, you, you know, you're here for, I, I, I just want you to know that, that you've run right into the middle of Jesus, because he's here.